Welcome to Movies Charles Hasn't Seen, episode 99. My name is Crosser. I'm Wilson. And I'm Charles. Each week, Wilson and I share a classic movie we have seen with Charles that he hasn't seen. This week, we watch the 1975 movie Dog Day Afternoon. So, Charles, tell us about it. Okay, so in Dog Day Afternoon, a bank robbery gets bungled, and um, the thieves end up being trapped in the bank surrounded by cops and they spend basically an entire day holding the people in the bank hostage and trying to negotiate for safe passage. And they manage to negotiate for a bus to the airport and a jet so they can leave to another country and hopefully be free. And they manage to you know, get on the bus safely and all that. Um, but once they reach the airport, it was all a trap. The main character's accomplice gets shot in the head and he gets taken in. Yeah, that's, that's the end of the movie. Yeah, a lot, yeah. A lot of long, drawn-out <laughs> negotiation scenes. Right, yeah, and a lot of yelling in the streets and yeah. giant crowds and, yeah. and things like that. Um, this was my selection uh, to do Dog Day Afternoon. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's been a little bit since we went back to the 70s, and that's kind of a very fertile ground for American cinema. And this is a stands tall, I think, um, in that landscape. Uh, I, I think this is a really good movie. I think it, it, it's an important movie um, and, and holds up. Like, I, I hadn't seen it in a good... 10 years at least, probably more than that really, because uh, I think I saw this in high school and not since then. Um, and I still thought it was just really excellent filmmaking and, and, and excellent uh, cinema. Um, a surprising entry in uh, queer cinema early in the uh, in that, uh, I don't know, category of film. Um, and just one of Pacino's best performances of his career, I think, that he just really knocks it out of the park here. Um, so. I think there's a lot to this movie, um, and I, th and I, I think it, it's really good and, and holds up well. Um, but what do you think of this one, Crossman? Yeah, I think it treats its <coughs> subjects surprisingly well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it does, for um, 1975. Like, Pacino's surprisingly sympathetic. Um, yes. Even as a sort of klutzy character. Yeah, they're really bad bank robbers. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, they are inept. Fredo... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or plays Fredo. Fredo Jim. slash Sal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, such a great mm -hmm. performance of only like three in his career. Four. Four, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, three characters, four performances. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's so good in it. And then yeah. I, I think it moves for uh, a, a film that only has like one location. It's surprisingly good. It's a, it's a bottle Film, Essentially, really. yeah. yeah, yeah. It's the bank, it's the street, and the barbershop, and that's basically it. Yeah, they're, they're briefly at the airport, but that lasts, you know, the last five minutes of the movie, and that's yeah, that's the whole thing. Um, but yeah, for the most part, it's just those three spots. Um, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, it moves. It like it has a good, good clip, like clock to it. Yeah, um, and that could that could feel very boring. And yeah, and it doesn't. Uh, yeah. I, I think it helps that it's shot on location. Because um, they actually scoped out a, oh. a street in Brooklyn somewhere, and well, they converted a warehouse into a bank mm -hmm. for the purposes of of the film. And yeah, because there's there's a lot of films where they might have shot the street scenes on location and then built a set back in L.A. or wherever, and they didn't do that here. They actually scouted a location that had the setup that they needed, mm -hmm. and I think it serves the film really well that you have like this ebb and flow across the street, and you have like. The actual people that were living in this neighborhood at the time it was being filmed, but ending up in shots because <laughs> they were just watching it. Because you know, there's Al Pacino. Um, so I think that that really serves this the, the energy of the film really, uh, really well. Um, so I, I looked up because this is a true story, mm -hmm. right? Like this, the, he 
take some liberties with with the narrative in general, including changing the main character's name, um, but the overarching idea of these two guys that don't really know what they're doing, sticking up a bank in order to pay for a, a gender confirmation surgery for this guy's girlfriend uh, is true. Apparently the bank itself was a Chase Bank yeah. in Gravesend in Brooklyn, which is like southern Brooklyn, like almost Brighton Beach area. Um, and other than that, it kind of it kind of holds true. It really did draw a crowd. It really did get some pretty crazy media coverage at the time. They did demand a, a jet, and they then the Sal character really was shot. Um, the the, the Albertino character uh, ended up serving some time in jail. He died five years. But yeah, not terribly. Although long. he was in and out after that because he violated his parole. Yes, <laughs> yes, that is true. Um, he died relatively recently, like 2006 or something. Yeah, I think he had cancer. Yeah. Um, and was just like living with his mom at the time, <laughs> and that was that was it for him. But uh, other than this, he didn't really have any claim to fame. But yeah, the story itself largely largely correct. Yeah. What do you think of this one, Charles? I quite liked it. You Good. Know, I was very drawn in by the story, <clears throat> by the characters. Uh, it was a lot funnier than I thought it would be. Yes. I, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I didn't know what to expect out of it, so I just like thought it'd be like a serious <laughs> movie. But like the, the entire beginning is like hilarious. Mm -hmm. First thirty minutes is like. Just really klutzy. Yeah, like, it's almost jokes. slapstick. Yeah. yeah, it was just really funny, like how the bank workers interacted with the robbers because, <laughs> yeah. like, they don't really treat them seriously, but at the same time, the robbers still have guns, so they kind of have to listen to them. Right. But they're like making fun of the robbers while they're <laughs> while they're fucking up, and it was just super entertaining. Yeah, like you, you can see, like they have like the lead teller lady, and it's like yeah. almost rolling her eyes at these guys yeah. every time they ask her to do something. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, fine, I'll put the money in the bag. Um, the, but the funniest moment for me was when um, Al Pacino asks um, Jim what country he wants to flee to. Yeah. <laughs> he takes a really long beat and then he says, Wyoming. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> and then Al Pacino has good. to tell him Wyoming isn't a country. <laughs> Apparently that line was improvised. Um, one of the few moments That's awesome. um, it was supposed to just be no answer, but he came up with Wyoming and they kept it in the movie. <laughs> yeah, and then he put it together pretty well. Yeah, not burst out laughing at Pacino that. Pacino stays in character and responds in an appropriate way. That's incredible. And then he brings it back again later on when he's on the phone um, with uh, Leon and says, oh, I'm stuck with a guy that thinks Wyoming is a country. Yeah. yeah. Which was That's really a, a great moment. Um, so yeah, just a, a series of, of like surprisingly funny and then like absurd moments throughout this movie um, while still staying pretty grounded in the reality of what's, of what's going on here. Um, do you want to talk about Pacino? He, he's the, the heart of this movie and holds it together. He's surprisingly not Pacino. That's film. true. Yeah. 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 He's not he Pacino. <clears throat> no, he's, he's not even he's not Scarface Pacino. He's not even Godfather Pacino. It's very yeah. interesting to compare it to Godfather Part Two because I this is like a year after that came out, right? Yes. Um, but like, you see his performance there where he's like very powerful and confident and very like put together and calculated and all that, right? And he's like mm -hmm. the exact opposite of that here, <clears throat> right? So you can see that he's like very vulnerable and like very clumsy as you described earlier mm -hmm. but at the same time he keeps like a very endearing side to that character yeah it, it the funny one of the funny behind the scenes facts or at least rumors about the true story is that one of the things that inspired these guys to go and rob this bank was the godfather <laughs> they, they watched the godfather and like oh yeah we could we could be criminals too <laughs> and of course Al Pacino is the star of that movie and now he ends up in 
in Dogday Afternoon. Um, but he does read like a guy who watched a bunch of Pacino movies and then decided <laughs> to rob a bank. Like that, that is what it kind of feels like. And the, this movie predates Scarface by a good 10 years or so, but it kind of feels like a guy pretending to be Scarface. Um, and I think that is endearing about the performance. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I mean, there's so many heist <laughs> movies where like everything is planned meticulously. Yeah. And this is the opposite of that. Right. He, he uh, tried to like act like he had everything planned and that he knew everything, <laughs> he but it all just goes to shit anyway. He's, I, I love when he was trying to paint over the cameras and he can't reach them. Yes. Oh, yeah. They've already that. like run all over the place and like they're, they're obviously on camera. Yeah. And like now he's going to. He's going to spray paint him over. It seemed like the whole plan was just like whatever few months of experience he had as a bank teller. Because apparently he actually did have a job as a bank teller yeah. at one point. And that was it. Like that was all the planning that went into this. Um, and then they even had the one guy at the beginning, because it was supposed to be a three-man job, one guy run off at the beginning. And he just gave up and ran. He, right. Which is, again, apparently true to life. That, that actually <laughs> He made happened. the right choice. Yes, he, yes, he did. It turns out. He did I, I did get a little confused because that actor looked similar to the actor that plays Leon. Oh, yeah, I can see the and parallel stuff, but no, different guys. It took me like a second to realize that they were. Huh. Like, it becomes clear when Leon. They're is totally on the different phone, people. But yeah. it still <laughs> took me a bit to be like. Wait, was was that that guy? Yeah, okay. yeah. No, it was not that guy. He's like yeah. way paler, so I didn't have that problem. No, that, I didn't either. But I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, they just similar hair dudes. Similar hair. Yeah, Leon had big yeah. hair. That was like, that was a lot of hair yeah. that that dude was was carrying around. Um, I was Chris Sarandon uh, was playing Leon, mm -hmm. um, who I don't know if he's related to Susan Sarandon, but I think he is. I think they're married. I mean, um, Hollywood's not a big. Right, place. exactly. <laughs> Particularly in the 70s. It so. gets incestuous. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, is, is this a very 70s movie? In many it's respects. Like, it's it's in New York. Mm -hmm. uh, it's hot. Yes. <laughs> Everything seems like it sucks. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, bottoms. And then they go through that. Like, the characters, like, kind of find <clears throat> some solidarity with uh, between the hostages and the... Robbers. Oh yeah, that's the heart of the film. Yeah, yeah it's like that relationship that they like. They don't make any money as as bank tellers and and uh, are sympathetic to wanting to rob. The yeah, place. they they understand yeah. why someone would want to rob a bank. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like they they yeah. get it. Like yeah. they're they're victimized by the bank every day too. Yeah, as employees. <laughs> um, so this is this is a Sydney Lumet movie. Yeah, uh, this is the third movie now we've watched of his. Uh, really, Twelve Angry Men, um, prior to this, and Network. Oh. Um, and I was reminded of Network or recalled Network on this viewing. Right, like I, I think that he's a director, especially later in his career, that became very concerned with how crowds react to things. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's obviously central to network, but you see it here as well, that you have this this growing mob outside of the bank and like the ebb and flow of media portrayal of the of the robbers inside and like how the police respond to the crowd and the media and the robbers and how they all interact with each other. Very central to this film. He has lots of shots of like the cops pointing guns at things, right? Yeah. Like that over and over again. Yeah, he's very concerned with like a <clears throat> I mean to connect it to network, the like the, the even evening news is yeah. not something that he seems to like. No. Much. no. <laughs> Which is fair. Local television is pretty bad. Yes. Um, <laughs> and it's bloodlust is pretty evident here and in network. Yeah, yeah. Especially in network, but also 
also here. Um, it's kind of an indictment of the technology too, because we see like what I assume at the time or like sort of the first like camcorder technologies, right? Mm -hmm. And we see like the fact that you can like get a live interview is like a new yeah. thing up for television, right? Over yeah. the phone, and he can see himself on TV, and that's a novelty, and he yes. like makes a point about it, right? And you have yeah. like these shots of like the hel the police helicopter and the news helicopter that are like battling for airspace, kind yeah. of. Yeah. Um, and he has his camera pointed out. So yeah, like that, it, it is confronting that you know burgeoning field of of you know the twenty four hour news. What would become the twenty four hour news? It network. doesn't seem to have a clear like message about that though. It's definitely like a theme. And he definitely seems to dislike it, but I'm not sure like what what it is one should do about that. Because it also like it, there is a double edge mm -hmm. to it. Because it does seem to protect uh, the dog and <laughs> yes, himself. in his day. Um, the fact that they're on live TV seems to protect them from being killed. Y yes, yeah. I think it, the, the mm -hmm. more central message of this film is really anti-cop. Like I don't think he's very friendly to the police officers no, in this movie, um, and I think that is much more what he is concerned with here. That the, the idea that the cop is yeah. the cops are there to protect the bank, right, and that they're really concerned with the the present the, them being able to steal this money or not, yeah. and that they're ready to just blow anybody away, right? Like he has like early in the film he has these kind of ridiculous scenes of right after we see these guys bungle this bank robbery, they have you know, two guns between the two of them. They may or may not know how to use them well. They have little control over the hostages, and these cops roll out with, like, a tank, and, yeah. <laughs> like, they yeah. all have their pistols out, and they all, like, have barricades around this place, and they'd surround the entire bank. Like, this is the equipment that they're they're dealing with with these guys that really just want, you know, what would they say, like, $1,200 or whatever it was, yeah. it was in the bank at the Well, time. they expected more. Right. Fair. But that's just it. Like, this, they're, they're protecting the bank's $1,200, <laughs> With all of this, yeah. right? Like that—that's the priority of the police yeah. department. Smartly, Pacino's character like distrusts <clears throat> all of them. Yes, because they are endearing characters. Like the, especially the first kind of like cop guy, really goes out of his way to like kind of make it seem like he's on Pacino's side. Yeah, the the hostage negotiator, who we may recall as the corrupt cop in the Sting. Same guy. Huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I had to look it up because I was like, "Hey, he looks awfully familiar." <laughs> that's that is who that is. Um, but you're right, and, and that's very through like a lot of theatrics, like yelling at the other police mm -hmm. officers and put your guns down. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But really, like when push comes to shove, he's just as ready to shoot Sal in the head. He's just as ready to collaborate with that entire project. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that you see that change in sentiment in the crowd itself, where mm -hmm. they are cheering for, they're, they're like holding up signs <laughs> for, for the robbers, they're actively and vo or at least vocally opposing the police officers, and I think that that's really the, the core message here, that it's not about the robbers versus the hostages, that it's the class of people that both the hostages and the robbers belong to versus the police, and the, who the police are protecting. Um, and to me, that's very much in line with what Network is talking about. Uh, and I think that that is at least some kind of through line in, in Sydney's career. Yeah, I thought a lot about the Warriors watching this. Too, oh, sure. Which same same time period, mm -hmm. pretty similar depiction of New York, where it's <coughs> just like, I mean, the city's falling apart at this point. Right, and, massive and, poverty and, yeah. Yeah, just like lots of trash everywhere. and um, Yeah, there's like a very similar depiction of police and... Mm -hmm. And the city itself, the police have like an oppressive force. Yeah, I think that yeah. uh, 
the Met has more complicated feelings about New York than, as depicted in the Warriors because you have yeah. those you have those shots at the beginning that like these establishing shots right and so it's like here's these guys doing construction work and here's these kids that are playing in a park and like all the, all that kind of stuff yeah but that's just kind of like setting the tone of like this is just normal New York right but I, I think the tone it's yeah. it's setting is a tone of yes these people are living relatively difficult lives, it's crowded, it's hot, it's dirty, but there's like a charm to it and I think there's an affection to it. I think that he's he's not shooting this to show like, look at how miserable these people are. He's, he, there's something about that that he's attracted to. Oh no, he's sympathetic to no, the more, needs of more, like, working people. Yeah, more than, more than just like working class sympathy, but like I think he actually likes the city, right? Like he sees something worth saving in what he's depicting in those early shots. Yeah. And I think that there there's a, there's this, I don't know, even perhaps more sincere patriotism in in what he's doing here, that he identifies what it, both what is good and what is bad and attacks very aggressively what is bad in order to save what he has identified as good, rather than just saying, get rid of all of it. Um, and th there's a, you know, there's a nuance there. There's a, a, a subtlety to his depiction, I think, um, to his credit. Like, that's, that, that's uh, easy to ignore. Yeah, but, I mean, the police depiction is is interesting too because they go they go out of their way to show like the vast response yeah. and like outsized response to yes to the situation. Yeah, uh, well, and they, and they especially contrast it with the ineptness of the actual crime and the scale of the crime. Because what, what do we see right before that? Is yeah. they're missing up, messing up every single step and they're not even getting that much money well, out of it. Well, it was funny because yeah. they also show that the cops are just as incompetent as yeah. the criminals. Because there's that part where they ask the main detective, like, why didn't you just get them when they left the bank? They were just about to leave and you could have caught them <laughs> as soon as they stepped out of the building. Yeah. No hostages, right? But no, they had to set up this long, drawn-out situation. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, they have to demonstrate their... Their firepower or sure. whatever, but yeah. yeah. Show of force. Show know. of force. What, what was different from today, though, is like you'd, you'd imagine just like a militarized SWAT team. Yes, would, yeah, that was missing. You know, rip out the front of the building and, and, yeah, and go in there everybody. and yeah. shoot everything, yes. Um, well, they referenced the different like botched bank robbery situation where the cops like, killed everyone, right? Attica. So that's the most famous scene in this movie. That was yeah. that was not a bank robbery. That was a, a prison, prison riot. riot. Oh, okay. Um, so in the Attica prison riots, which took place in New York, the prisoners essentially like took over wings of the prison. Um, unarmed prisoners, right, because they just vastly outnumbered the, the guards. And the way it was resolved is that they had rounded up the bulk of the prisoners in a certain hallway or hall or something and just slaughtered them, just mm -hmm. like gassed them, fired blindly into the crowd. They brought in, like, retired and discharged prison guards to, like, participate in this and just murdered people in prison. So that that is what he, when he's yelling Attica, that's what he's referencing mm -hmm. is that event which would have been relatively recent at the time of filming and, and release. Um, so yeah, that's the, that is the most famous sequence and line in the movie is Attica, Attica. Um, had you seen that before? I had not. Oh, really? Okay. No. Yeah, so you, well then you correctly identified <laughs> what is the most There's a reference uh, to it in, in an It's Always Sunny episode. Is there? Yeah, Charlie just starts screaming Attica. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. It was the, the Serpico episode, right? Yeah. He, he confused his Al Pacino brawls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And it's just like, it's not relevant at all to what's going on. Yeah. I feel like I've heard people yelling Gattaca before. No, nope, that's something Which is else. Probably, well, I know it's another <laughs> movie, but that's also yeah. probably like a cross reference to this scene. Or they misheard it, who knows? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah but um, 
Yeah, no, he's saying Attica, yeah. uh, which is a prison, and uh, specifically a, a, a prison riot. Um, so again, an explicit uh, reference to a recent historical and political event in which cops behave badly, right? Like the, the politics of the movie in, in that moment are pretty clear, uh, p placed in the, the mouth of their, our most sympathetic character, um, which is our lead. Uh, so yeah, I think that it's hard to argue that this is very this like pre 9-11 like attitudes around policing too. In, like, in what sense? Well, like police are um, sort of like seen, because they're seen as an oppressive Force yeah. in this film, I, I feel like that was like pretty normal in film um, up until 9/11 when mm -hmm. they became like <coughs> equated with heroes with military. Yeah, when, um, and and fire fires cannot be disrespected after that. Right, uh, I, and I still feel like we're kind of in that mode. Absolutely, Although it's 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 unwound a little with the Black Lives Matter movement. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's still like buried strong in the to the point where like every show on television is about police. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you, I, I thought there were a lot of cop shows before 9/11, but I don't know. It was a long there time. There are, but now 100% of shows are <laughs> cop yeah, shows. Okay. Like 100% network TV is about <laughs> the police. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they're easy to make. Police is heroes, yeah. Uh, but I mean, this was also made in the 70s, so yeah, the po politics are different in the 70s, but also like film production is different in the 70s. Like you, you had this middle class of film that this was made in, yep. when the filmmakers had a lot more latitude as to what they could do politically, what would actually sell, what would, I mean, because this w was nominated for and won, won Academy Award, nominated for many more. Um, Which one did it win? Uh, original screenplay. Okay. Um, so it, this is a, a famously, this is a studied screenplay, this is a famously um, good screenplay. But in the 70s, like, American cinema was kind of the Wild West, right? Like, you can say a lot more things than you could, th than you could now, um, it, within the studio system, that is. Uh, and that, you know, that, end that ended at some point, but this was right in the heart of it. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I also think just because of the time, too, because the city is failing, like, through the institutions of the city are, are failing, and mm -hmm. police as a representation of the state's power and the city's power, you would connect the two. Yeah. And so, if you know if the city's failing around you, then the police are a part of that problem. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and but it, I think this movie doesn't necessarily show that as a material problem, right? Because the the cops still have a lot of resources, right? Like, look at how many officers they're able to to assemble like that for this trivial bank robbery. Yeah. Right. So it's more of a from the film's perspective, like more of a political choice, right? That if the, if the police are failing you, it's because the, there's a lack of political will for them to do something, you know, in service of you. Not that they are also victims of whatever economic crisis is hitting New York at the well, time. Well, and also to show like the lack of necessity of police, right? Yeah. Like they don't, they don't do anything here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they keep everybody they, they inside. Make, they make everything worse. Yeah, and give everybody yeah. a real bad day. Because if the there's, cops hadn't shown up, they would have run off with their twelve hundred dollars. Yeah. And it would have all been covered by the FDIC. Yeah. And nobody would have died. Yes. And that's that. <laughs> right? Like how much they definitely spend more than twelve hundred dollars in overtime, right, for all yeah. these cops, right? For sure. <laughs> like no no question. Never mind blocking a runway at JFK. Right. Yeah. And like and the highway to get to get there yeah. and all that. Like yes. Yeah, they definitely spent more than they saved here. Um, although I from what I gather, at least 
recently. It may have been different in the 70s, but now apparently if you rob a bank, mm -hmm. you're not going to get away with much cash. Like, oh, that's less than right. 10 grand for sure. Yeah. Like, there, I mean, yeah. there's there are reserve requirements. Like, that's that is the law, you know, for the the same law that established the Fed and things like that, and the FDIC. Yeah. Like, so there's an, an amount of cash that a bank must have on hand. Sure. But yeah, it's not oodles and oodles. But yeah, you're. You're not, not enough to justify doing that. Yeah, you're not gonna not the, not be able risk. to get to Mexico <laughs> and live <laughs> yeah. out your days. Well, yeah, not from New York a anyway. Single bank. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it, I think that you, you don't really hear about bank robberies anymore. It's not worth it. Yeah, that's probably why. And it'd be, it must be really hard. Did they um, end in like the early '90s or something? Because I feel like I still heard about them happening in the early '90s. Yeah, man, um, maybe. I mean, they still happen all the time, but people get away with like three grand. Yeah. Like so, the crime is not worth the danger, right? Uh, like you can sit back on your computer and defraud people, <laughs> and probably never get arrested. Right, Less, a lot less prep work too. Yeah, exactly. Right, I guess not enough people are in it for like the thrill of robbing a bank. That's 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 too bad. Yeah, <laughs> there's or a romance you could to it. Just work at a bank and <laughs> there you go. Yeah, ah. There's that Key and Peele hey. joke, right? Yeah. No, is, I, what is this one? Well, he says like, "Oh, I, I have a, I have a great trick. You, you, you interview there, you get a job, <laughs> you work there eight hours a day, five days a week, and then you retire, walk out the door like you were never there." Yeah. <laughs> His friend goes, "Dude, that's called a job. It's a career. Yeah, yeah that's, that's that's what that is. Yeah, that that that's pretty good." Yeah. Um, there's actually um, was Robert Redford made a movie this year called The Old Man with a Gun about an an old timey bank robber who just like still likes robbing banks so he'll just like go around and like stick them up and he's like this gentleman bank robber and take whatever money they have on hand which is often just a few thousand dollars and he just like does it because he likes it <laughs> like that's what the movie's about and it's kind of about how that's anachronistic and like mm -hmm. he's this relic and things well like i that. think banks now like don't do much to stop you because they know that they're insured by the FDIC. Same thing. At this point, they're like, yeah, yeah they, just, just take, take it. Like, right, which is you know, what ends up happening in this movie. Yeah. Um, they get caught later, I guess, because I mean, I feel yeah. like they usually end up finding them anyway. Yeah. Probably. There's cameras everywhere. Yeah. And, and, and if mean, you're robbing a bank, you're probably not really that bright. <laughs> I do still see the bank robbery plot come up every once in a while, but I think it's either for like a combination of the anachronicity mm. or like to show the character's desperation. Yes. So like one example recently is Baby Driver. They like yeah. rob banks in that one, and that gives it kind of an old-timey feel in a way. And another, um, I don't know if you guys saw Place Beyond the Pines. I actually haven't, and I've, I would like to. Okay, well, I mean, they, they rob banks in that one, too, but okay. it just seems very uh, dangerous, and you can it kind of shows the desperation of the characters in a way. Yeah, Hell or High Water is another good one. That was um, a good movie. And I actually saw another one recently I can talk about okay. later. Got it. Um, but I, I think what you'll see, you'll still see heist movies, like modern heist movies, but yeah. they are, the targets aren't banks anymore. Yeah, they're right. Las they're, Vegas casinos. They're casinos. Um, I saw Logan Lucky last year, or perhaps yeah. earlier this year, where the target oh, yeah. is the uh, a yeah. giant NASCAR race. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah where, which is also pretty similar to a casino because it's just people gambling. Um, yeah. So like that's the kind of stuff you'll see. Like people are are robbing private operations as opposed. I guess banks are private too, but like you know, like a hotel casino and things like that. Um, th and I think that that kind of represents a shift both in like the reality of the world we live in, but also like where we see real money being. I also think a lot of those films are less <coughs> about like the act of robbery and it's more about the like 
planning and yes. execution and expert, the procedure. expertise of the fun stuff. The characters. Yeah, yeah, they're procedurals. Building, you know, the building the team. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's what Logan Lucky is. That's yeah. what these all the ocean movies are. For sure. Yeah, are, are just doing that. Yeah, which is probably good because like it's more about the characters, right? Yeah, I think yeah. it usually makes for for better movies. Because I, I think it's kind of a stretch to call this a heist movie. It's a heist movie in the sense that there is a robbery depicted, but it's, nah, it, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't hit the same beats that Ocean's Eleven, which predates this movie, did, or any of the subsequent you know, big iconic heist movies that we think of. Like this, this movie is interested in other things and is using that setup only in order to reach these other ideas. Yeah, I mean, the most important thing about the, this film is the relationship with Leon. Right and why? Yeah. Well, in terms of what's motivating the character, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's talk about that. What do we think about Leon? I feel like that kind of came out of nowhere. Yes. I was very surprised. Yeah. They like they like drop it on you. Like, <laughs> yeah. Of, so yeah. I was bewildered and confused for a little while because like they show his other wife first. <laughs> yep. It's uh, like, did they make a mistake? <laughs> so you expect her to show up, and they very clearly indicate to you that that's his wife, and mm -hmm. like interview her and stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, and then they're like, oh, your wife's finally here, and Leon comes out, and I'm just like, what? Who, who, is, who is this person? <laughs> it took me a while to accept that I guess he has two wives, because it's like kind of weird. Yeah, like I remember, because I, I saw this movie in high school when I was just like working through the Academy Award winners <laughs> at yeah. the local movie rental store, and um, I think that was the first time I ever encountered a trans person in media that wasn't portrayed as absurd. Mm. Right, and like, because it's a, it's a, they're treated as an actual person with motivations and feelings and an inner life, and like Leon is treated with seriousness. Yeah. Right, and I think that this movie is literally the first time I ever encountered that in in my film viewing, and I was flummoxed as you were because I was fourteen or whatever, but um, yeah, it, it definitely stuck with me. Mm -hmm. it, it definitely made an impression. That was spoiled to me before I had seen this film. Okay, when did you mm. see this for the first time? Like, um, maybe like ten years ago. Okay. So about when the, the documentary came out about which I haven't seen, but I'm aware of. I think it's called The Dog. It or is. Something. Yes. Um, and it was filmed like right before he died. Mm -hmm. But it, apparently he was this like very interesting character that they interviewed. Yes. Part of the film. Yeah. And about like about his experience, which is interesting. I haven't seen it, but yeah. I hear it's good. Yeah, because he uh, he was evidently involved to some degree in. LGBT movement in New York at the time. This wasn't that far removed from Stonewall. Mm -hmm. um, like there was, and and you see it depicted in the film toward, closer to the end, where you have gay activists on this barrier that the, that the cops have set up, doing a out of the closet into the street kind of chant, mm -hmm. um, and the, uh, for 1975, right? Like that's extraordinary. Yeah, right? the like fact that he was <laughs> even like allowed to be yeah. made is is amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, like like. I think even into the '90s, you would, or even today, you would have a hard time making a film like this. It, it, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Like I, I think we're just starting to see any kind of serious trans depiction in mainstream media, like within the last ten years or so. And this movie was made in 1975, so it is what yeah. 40 whatever years old, and 48 I years guess old. That like meta aspect added to my confusion a bit. So sure. like, are they really doing this in, in 1975? Yeah. yeah, the answer is, is yes. Yeah, <laughs> yes, they impressive. are. Um, so yeah, I had, to, uh, uh, not, until this, the viewing for this episode, I hadn't seen Dog Day Afternoon since I saw it in high school. 
Um, so I was wondering like how that depiction would hold up. And there's obvious things that if you were to do this now, you, that you would critique, like pronoun usage and how they're talking about the surgery and things like that, whatever. It would be accurate to... It would have been accurate to the period, to the yeah. Time, but yeah. if you were if you were to use that language now, like you would, In get, a contemporary, a, yeah. you would get a side eye, fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was still surprised how well it held up, and like surprised how, how again how respectful they were towards this character. You right? could like, tell the movie wasn't being judgmental or anything right, like that. Right, and even the, even when the cops were interviewing her, right, like they were still being cops, but like there was one guy that was laughing, and like everybody ignored him, right, and like that is probably a generous depiction of police officers, <laughs> but still, like that the movie made that choice, and to make the guy that is laughing look like a jerk instead of like a, a you know the jokester is a really progressive choice yeah like that is, and i think this deserve, movie deserves a lot of credit for that also in back to the news critique the news is shown as kind of like cruelly describing the situation yeah, yeah or hyping up the <clears throat> the absurdity the, of it yeah, right like absurd, how yeah. how crazy this is yeah, yeah. and and Right, that the movie doesn't em embrace that itself. And I, I think you can see something similar in Pacino's performance, right? Because Pacino is playing, I don't want to say a gay man because I'm not sure if he identifies as gay, but someone involved in the LGBT community, a, a queer man perhaps. Mm -hmm. He's not flamboyant, right? Mm -hmm. Like he's not dressing crazy colors. Like you, you can pick, he doesn't have any kind of gay accent, right? Yeah. Like you can pick the tropes that you would expect in gay representation in the 70s and none of them are here in that character not a single one yeah. right also just the fact that they like kind of say it yeah which <laughs> is yeah. like very progressive yeah just just you think at that time they would like see the true story and maybe like you know cut that part out or something so mm -hmm. it's brave of them to like include it right yeah because yeah this movie could have easily just not had that at all yeah. right it could have just been about like look at this crazy bank robbery and yeah. look at how bad the cops are and like that could have been the movie and that they introduced this true to life angle treat it respectfully and like have it really grant a lot of depth to these characters is is really well handled and really yeah. well done. And it's important that he's robbing the bank to try to pay for the surgery. Yes. Because it's like kind of the weight that society puts on trans people. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They can't pay for it, you know. Yeah, and, and that it's not just about like him wanting, like, wanting a bunch of money. Yeah. Right? And, it's, and, and that the robbery isn't about him. Right, like he's because he kind of comes across as a little bit ambivalent about the actual procedure, but that he's just willing to do it, just go out and do it, is, you know, exceptional. Yeah, I liked it. There, there were some references to like him abusing Liana. Yeah, I mean that, more than that references. That gave me like, like a lot of. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah. I was like, I don't know if I like this character anymore. It like sets off so <laughs> many flags. Yeah, and again, that's pro that it probably is true to life, right? Yeah. Like that. Yeah, that he probably seemed to be really clearly happen. bad to his other wife as well, because he like yells at her on the phone. Right, right, and like I mean, she's depicted as like this overbearing, nagging woman that like doesn't understand what he's going through and all that. Like, and I think it's yeah. it might be fair to knock the movie for that depiction. Like that, yeah. that seemed a little over the top, um, but I mean, yes, they do, they do mention numerous times his physical abuse. His physical yeah. abuse. And I like that it, that the movie is just embracing the reality of this relationship, yeah. right? That it, that these people have problems that a married couple in 1975 would have, right? Like these, they have they have conversations and arguments like that, and the, those problems are awful, and they're things that we would condemn today, you know, 
correctly and forcefully, but that this is, they didn't just say, oh, they're married and that's it. It's like, oh, they're married and this is what the relationship looks like. That's, this is what it means for these people to be married to one another. Mm -hmm. And like that they have something with texture and meaning in it, right? Like that, that they, they each have a personality that isn't, I am gay or I am yeah. trans, right? Like is, is really notable. I didn't notice the <laughs> film at the end was like, uh, so he's, his wife and children. Right. Like, it gives like a little depiction of like where everybody is. And it's like mm. his wife and children, and they're on welfare. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, oh God. they're poor. Right. Yeah. After, yeah. After all that, like, <laughs> you're going to knock them for being on welfare. Drag them. I, don't, I didn't read it as a knock. I, I read it as like, and they, they're still like, yeah, we got this movie made about them. Yeah, they were in the papers. Yeah, they, they that didn't get them rich, right? Like they still have hard lives, right? Yeah. Which is how which was know. well, the movie was only made a few. You, years. you read it as like the movie sticking it to him, to the wife and kids. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Really? Okay, I didn't, yeah. but that's fair. But the, the rest of the movie didn't seem to have that kind of attitude towards that class. Of which person. is why it was so confusing yeah. at the end, or it yeah, was just I, like I dropped like. Yeah, I, I guess I didn't read yeah. it that way, but I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I, I had a, a different feeling, but because um, I my my reading as it is that. They're saying, like, look at these people are still living a difficult life to date and will continue to, and the people like them will continue to, yeah. mm -hmm. and that this is a bad thing, right? Like, that's what the movie's about. He apparently, like, did get paid for his story, though. Like, okay. Yeah, they paid him, like. Who did? Uh, so they, like, bought the rights to his story okay. before the film. So he, like, made money off of it. Oh, good. And, yeah. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that is good. Yeah. Uh, so I, th I think for me the most affecting uh, scene in this movie is when Al Pacino is on the phone and he has the conversation with Leon and with his wife. I think that's one of the strongest performance or moments of, of Pacino's performance here. I think it's when we really see the inner life of all of these characters and like what they've been driven to. Um, apparently the way that was shot, because this movie was shot much more sequentially than most hmm. movies were, uh, because they shot on three locations, right? So apparently what happened there is the director had Pacino deliver that speech or like perform that, that part of the, the film all in one take. So he did one phone call right after the other, just, like, just as it is depicted in the movie, at the end of the day, right? So they're exhausted at this point. Mm -hmm. Pacino does the whole thing. Apparently the whole, the, that whole sequence is like a good 15 minutes long. Like it's a long... It's a long chunk of the film. Immediately after that single take, Sydney says, all right, do it again. <laughs> and just like has him run it right back and run through the whole thing straight again. And that's the take they used, that second one. So he's like, and I didn't know that when I watched it this time, but I looked it up um, in preparation for this episode. And apparently like that's why he just looks so run down and so exhausted is because it was the end of the day shooting the end of the shoot in general, because that's near the end of the film, and it's his second time doing that in a row. So it's like a, a solid 30 minutes of talking. And I always love hearing the clever yeah. little techniques you get to make it a little more convincing. Right? Yeah. That's very good. It, apparently he gave him no breather. He just like, immediately after he got done with the first take, he said, all right, great, run it back. You said that was both <laughs> phone calls, so that includes like the entire yelling part? Yeah, the, both phone calls, one after the other. Again, one after the other. <laughs> So he, it makes he, it a little more forceful because I'm sure he's exasperated at that point. You, yeah. you really want to let it out. 
Yeah, because, I mean, the character at that point, it was like, what, a 14-hour standoff or something. Yeah. He'd been yelling in the street for a portion of this, right? The air conditioning stops working, right? Like, he actually is exhausted, and, like, you see it in it's that New performance. York yeah, 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 it's really hot out. Um, so I, I thought that was one of those fun bits of <laughs> movie-making yeah. trivia. Yeah. And it's impressively acted how differently he interacts with both of his wives. You can tell like mm -hmm. it's a very, very diff different relationship, right? Like he seems extremely frustrated with the woman who he has kids with and like gets to yelling very quickly, but he seems much like softer with Leon. Yes, I agree. It's a yeah, big I, difference. Yeah, you see the affection, yeah. I think, for Leon um, that, you, that he definitely lacks with his... With his wife, whose name I don't even remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not even sure if she gets a name. Um, so I, I, I like, there's a lot of stuff I like about this movie, but the, the other moment that I like that I want to draw attention to is like all of the little moments with the uh, bank staff that they have like, yeah. throughout the film. Like they have these little side conversations. There's a moment where he's like teaching her how to like handle the gun, like, the gun like a marine just like hands her the gun and like lets her what i thought do about that. with that was that al pacino would have had to like learn that move for that tiny scene cuz you have to like do yeah. it exactly right as if you've done it a thousand times <laughs> yeah. to sell that scene right and mm. he had to learn to do it just right yeah you're probably exactly right um, and and i love that but like it, it it shows like this camaraderie that they've developed, like and it's this class-based camaraderie. Because the one that's standing outside of this group is the manager, right? And you and you, but you see these people yeah. that are identifying their 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 class-based commonality and and drawing together because of that. I was just waiting for the gun to go off accidentally. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, because they show that it's like a real gun. Right, because he, he yeah. fires that one shot. Yeah, um, at a cop. Um, so no, that doesn't happen. Like they just keep it kind of. Wholesome, um, and he, and he, they have that weird conversation where the um, head teller like decides to start smoking like in the yeah. middle of the yeah. in the middle of the um, shaded cell. Up. Yeah, right. And he has like this conversation about his body being body. a being a temple or whatever. Um, <laughs> and I, so I, I really like that about the film that they they find the space for these little conversations, these little weird quirks for all these characters. Um, and I think that's that's really well handled. I liked the moment with Sal slash Fredo where he uh, <laughs> he's like, "Did you mean the thing about throwing the bodies out the door?" And he's <laughs> yeah, like, right. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't want to do that. Yeah, <laughs> like, you don't have to know that. <laughs> you yeah. Know, yeah, I don't want. I don't want them to know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Though that was. Yeah, Does he, he says like, "Oh, I'm ready, though." Right. Oh yeah, no, no, you're right. I misremembered. You're absolutely yeah, right. He's he like, "I'm ready to do that." Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah he was like walks away. It was Pacino that's like, "Well, maybe not." Yeah, you're yeah. right. Oh, I misheard. I thought you said the opposite. All right, that changes things a lot. Yeah. No, I, I, unless I misheard. No, you're right. I, I think he's okay. like, "I'm ready." Yeah. No, like, you, you are right, and I, I had misremembered. Huh. And yeah, that that does color the character a bit. And he's also like really concerned that the news is saying that there are two gay men robbing the bank. Because well, he's Christian, so he like sees that as a bad thing. Right, right, and he's you know, he's like, I think there are plenty. Of God, God watches TV. He's gonna send me to hell. <laughs> he's gonna send me. He's gonna think I'm gay because it's on the TV. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that there are plenty of straight men that would uh, that would take issue with that, especially in 1975. Yeah, um, and he behaves in the way you would expect. Well, yeah, and he's like a small time criminal. Right. in in New York. Right. Like, apparently, in real life, he was like a kind of burglar. Yes, and, and yeah. substantially younger. So the guy that was actually yeah. involved here was 18. Oh. Um, described in the script as a, a good-looking young man. 
and instead they cast <laughs> Jim Cazale, who was 39 at the time. Yeah, but and, he's great. Yeah, of course yeah. he's great, right. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying it's wrong, it's just funny that, like, yeah. this, he ends up in the role, and it's like, it, he's probably not the best-looking guy in the world. <laughs> like, yeah. um, but it was Pacino that, that pitched him and, like, talked him into casting him. Yeah. Um, and obviously a good choice. Yeah. Because uh, they're friends from The, the Godfather. The Godfather, yeah. Yeah, funny. Um, any, uh, any, like, closing thoughts on this? Uh, I, I I just like this movie a lot. I, I think I think it's really good. We haven't touched on the the semi ambiguous ending. Apparently, some people think that Sonny um, was in on the the shooting of the of Sal that he had he had flipped on him. And there's like very light hints to suggest that. Um, and the actual man Sonny hasn't said either way. Um, but I still think that ending is handled really well, um, and and it it largely works. Um, but yeah, I, I I like this movie in general. I'm I'm glad we watched it, and I'm glad it held up after yeah. several years of having not seen it. But yeah, another another good one from Simply New Man. I didn't sure. I didn't get a chance to mention, but I saw a lot of parallels. I mean, obviously, I guess with Inside Man that we've done before. Sure. Yeah. I mean, because yeah. they're they're very similar movies, and it a lot of the movie is like the cop and robber like meeting at the door and talking a bunch, right? Yes. They had that same sort of mechanic to mm-hmm. like move the plot along and. Inside Man had to have been inspired by Dog Day Afternoon from that. It's like the same thing. There's a ton of references to this movie all yeah. over. Yeah, yeah. This is a popular and influential movie. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot. I actually yeah. think it influences, um, kind of random, but I, I think it influences Bob's Burgers a lot. Huh. How, how so? Um, well, there is, like a, there is like a Dog Day Afternoon episode. Okay. Um, but what, one thing I think that's interesting about Bob's Burgers is like from the first season, there are trans and queer characters okay. and the show just like treats them as normal and people who think that they're weird or gross they're wrong the joke is on them yeah and not on the yeah not yeah so yeah i think um it, it's an interesting depiction in comedy and that is makes that show feel like very contemporary I should watch more Bob's Burgers. Like I've seen good it's, chunks yeah, of it's it. It's one of my favorite shows. So. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's like where all the clean jokes from Archer go. <laughs> they end up on Bob's Burgers. Yeah, uh, and that's that's a great pitch. Like I'm in for that. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. I'll have to watch that show more and and look for that. Uh, but in any case, we'll be we will be back in a moment with uh, things we've seen. See you then. And we're back with things we've seen. Uh, this is the segment towards the end of the show where we discuss more recent movies that we have seen at the theater at home, on airplanes, whatever, um, to, to see what we've been watching this week. So, uh, Charles, what's good? What have you seen? I saw the Wreck-It Ralph sequel, Ralph Breaks the Internet. Just like Kim and, Kardashian. And I thought it was, it was okay. Okay. Like, All right, that's what I was expecting. It wasn't a disaster. Like, I thought the trailers might have indicated because they showed a lot of the worst parts of the movie. Um, but it wasn't great either, and I didn't really expect it to be, I guess, but I was curious because I love the first one so much. Um, the first one has got to be one of my favorite animated films of all time, partly because, you know, video games are so close to my heart, and it did such a great job of telling a video game story, right? And so I love those kinds of things that, like, introduce a new world in a way, right? And in the first one, you kind of get introduced to the world of the arcade games, and, like, there's rules within the world and things like that, <laughs> and, um, well, yeah. Not to, sorry, I mean to interrupt you, but like I think what's good about the first one is that it's like it treats its subject matter well, unlike yeah. Ready Player One, 
Yeah, exactly. Like, it's basically Ready Player One, but like done well. It's like yeah, and it's more, it's more focused, right? Like yeah. another great thing about the first one is it has a very focused and tight story um, that's like, you know, closely tied to the theme and all. I don't remember the first movie too clearly, but I remember the story and theme all being very like well tied together, very tight, right? It's about like the villain not actually being the bad guy and him coping with that and you know, things like that. Uh, this one, it felt less clear uh, it was a lot more muddled about what the movie was really trying to say besides the very like surface level kind of uh, like child's side of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically the plot is that um, Vanellope's arcade game breaks and the company has gone out of business so to save the game they have to go to eBay to buy a replacement steering wheel for it. So they have to go to the internet to get sure. the replacement steering wheel <laughs> so they can go back to their normal lives. But then they go to the internet and explore around and Vanellope finds a cool new like online racing game where she feels more at home and she doesn't want to go back to her old life, right? Um, so there's some conflict over like Ralph wanting her to come back because she's his best friend and like go back to their normal lives in the arcade, mm-hmm. but she wants to move on and be in this video game, right? But then there's all these parts where they're going through the internet and they have a whole section where he like makes viral videos to try to make money to pay for the steering wheel. Uh, where you get all those like cringy and out-of-date internet jokes that you kind of expected from the trailer. Thankfully, there weren't quite as many as I feared, but there were still quite a lot, and they were not very good. <laughs> uh, so, like, basically for this movie, I thought all of the internet stuff didn't need to be there. It just felt kind of cringy. It yeah. felt kind of bad. You could have plotted it better if you just had them install a new arcade game into the arcade and have her want to like leave for that game or something like that. Um, because like the best parts of this movie were when she, when, when you're in that like the slaughter race game. I thought I thought that was really fun. There were no references to like the normal internet, so they could like do whatever they want, right? right. And it was just it was like a fun world. It's like kind of a Mad Max racing game sort of thing, right? And I really liked the aesthetic of it. Um, and yeah, it was really cool to to watch and be in. But unfortunately, it's just a very small part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they go back to the internet, and you're reminded of all the terrible stuff from the internet. Um, and they have a cool little like song portion in the slaughter race, which is really good. Um, I thought some of the meta jokes about the Disney princesses were pretty fun. Oh, that was that movie. I, I knew there was a trailer that had that. And I, yeah, it was this, it was this movie. Okay, it was this it. movie because yeah. like it's a Disney movie. They go to a Disney fan site at one point. Oh, okay. Uh, and that's why they go to like the Disney World looking thing. Cute. All right. And they remind you that Disney owns everything. There was a Stan Lee cameo in this movie because Great. Marvel is in the Disney fan site. Yeah. They have a sh- very brief like Star Wars sequence. Yep. Um, but Sounds about right. <laughs> when she like meets all the princesses, I thought some of the jokes there were actually really good, and they have some like interesting commentary on like the role of princesses in Disney media. They kind of poke fun at like the kind of gender roles that they're okay. that they're thrown into, and the princesses also get another cool sequence later that I won't spoil. But I thought it was pretty nice. Do they play the Rick Astley song? Because um, that was in the trailer. <laughs> did they? Yes. Never gonna give you up is in the trailer. Huh. Well, there was a... Okay, it's a bit of a spoiler. There's a post credit scene where they, they have Ralph sing the song. Do they? Okay. Yeah. Got it. Uh, called it. They're like, oh, it's a Frozen 2 trailer. And then... It's not. And I'm like, okay, it's going to be a... A thing. A wreck roll. Yeah. Okay. I remember yeah. seeing, like, a funny article about ranking all the, like, animated music videos at the end of movies. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh god. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Most of those are in like the crappy like dreams work DreamWorks and uh, uh, Illumination it's, picks, right? It's pretty common across like 3D animated movies. Is now. it? Like, yeah. All, a lot of the Pixar films do it. Well, what was the best one? I forget. It's been okay. a long time since I read the article. But I, remember, I thought they ranked the funny. worst ones. Okay. Actually. Well, yeah, that's, I think that's what it was. Yeah, that's yeah. going to get more clicks. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I mean, there were some fun sequences in this movie. It's worth seeing if you like the first one. Um, but it's kind of like Incredibles 2 or a lot of those Pixar sequels where you just can't capture the magic of the original. Um, but you get a little more of it. Okay. Yeah, that's that's usually what sequels are. Yeah. Are aiming for. Yeah. Uh, I watched a sequel too. This, well, a couple weeks ago now, um, I saw Creed two. Um, on I got an early preview screening. I went as early as I could, and it was it was great. Um, so the, I the first Creed came out in two thousand sixteen. It was my favorite movie of last year. I think it has legit claim to best sports movie ever. Creed is a very good movie. Um, it is for those that don't know the sequel to the Rocky films featuring the Apollo Creed character's son and his boxing career. Um, the most recent one ends with, or the, the first one ends with him not winning the crown. Uh, this one starts with him winning it. So he's the, he is now the champion. Um, the driving antagonist and conflict in the film is that Drago, Drago's son, so this is the Drago from Rocky IV that killed Apollo Creed in the ring, and then Rocky goes and fights him in Moscow and ends the Cold War with, <laughs> <laughs> with a boxing match. That's Isn't not that far. There's a robot, too. Yes, there's a boxing robot in that movie, um, and also a lot of steroids. They, so they, the, the thing with Rocky IV is that they, they really want to make this really clear difference between like the authentic American fighter who's like doing it the right way and like wearing sweats and running up and down stairs and stuff, and like the manufactured false communist fighter who's like using steroids and robots and like fancy facilities in order to be a good fighter. And like so then those two meet and it's like the authentic American defeats the false communist and and America wins, right? Like that's that's what Rocky Four is. Um, so in this movie, uh, Drago has lost back in you know the eighties. He has a son now and his son is the new the hot shit that's gonna you know beat um, Adonis Creed for the, the title heavyweight champion of the world, right? Um, so the the I, it was very good. I liked Creed to a lot. It's not as good as the first one, but it lacks like the kind of electric propulsion that that movie had. This one is a little bit more restrained, I think. Um, and but seeing a movie isn't as good as Creed is not really that much of a knock. It really might be one of the best sports movies um, ever made. What I wanted and in and Creed two plays out the way that you would expect it to, right? Like he is the champion now. This challenger comes along, you know, knocks him down a peg. He comes back to him and he beats him, right? Like that's what you would ex expect, and that's what happens. Um, the interesting thing about this movie, however, is Dolph Lundgren. So hmm. <laughs> Dolph Lundgren plays Drago, Drago in Rocky IV. Like he's the one that it's the same character. It's, it's the same character, right? It's his son that yeah. is now gonna gonna fight Adonis. And what the movie is centrally about is what you do with the sins of the father, right? So you have the Adonis, or you have the Apollo Creed character, and his sin is that he took a fight that he shouldn't have taken, he wasn't prepared for it, he didn't take it seriously, and he ends up abandoning his family because he's killed in the ring. And he was irresponsible, he was selfish, and he made a bad decision. Right? And now Adonis has to deal with the, the consequences of that. Similarly, Drago, the, the Dolph Lundgren character, is, <clears throat> when he lost to Rocky, the, this movie, Creed II, tells us that 
He was <laughs> kicked out of Russia, <laughs> not allowed to, to go there anymore. All of his sponsorship and all of his money was stripped. His wife left him, so this is his son's uh, mother left him. And he was, the, the movie opens with him in, the, in Ukraine with his son training, you know, in harsh Ukrainian temp, uh, environments, right? So it, it's about like how fathers can visit their own sins, force their own sins upon their sons, right? And about how, how this generational trauma is passed down from group to group and that it really takes a, a very conscious and severe break from that tradition and a, an act of bravery to, to, to get away from that, to escape from that, right? And the way Adonis does it is clear. He just beats the guy that represents the guy that killed his dad, right? Like, but for the Dragos, they have to make a conscious choice to come to terms with losing, right? Mm -hmm. And to accept that if you lose, it doesn't mean that you're a lesser person and that you are a, a worse person. And Dolph Lundgren manages to depict that and depict the anguish and the, like, the complexity of that in very short scenes and in very short moments that, that was really striking and surprising. I was not <laughs> expecting, A, I wasn't even sure it was in this movie, and B, I wasn't expecting him to have this kind of affecting performance like he did. Um, so it was, it, it was a, a real treat, and, and uh, the movie's probably worth going to for that alone. Uh, the rest of it is still good. Like it, it's a boxing movie, and there's cool boxing moments and things like that, um, and it is apparently Stallone's last uh, rendition of Rocky, although he has said that before. Um, <laughs> so it's good for those reasons, but I think that the best thing about the movie might be Dolph Lundgren, and, uh, and that, that was surprising for me. So uh, Creed 2 is a thumbs up. Um, I hope I didn't spoil too much of it, but this movie's not about the surprises. Um, so you should, you should go check it out. And if you haven't seen Creed either, definitely go check that out, because that yeah. movie's fucking amazing. Uh, what did you see, Crossman? Anything good? Yeah. Uh, I, saw, I saw a bank heist movie. Okay. <laughs> which one? Um, I saw a film called Den of Thieves, which kind of... Oh, I heard it was good. ...quietly came out earlier <laughs> this year. Um, who was who in that? It was Gerard Butler, right? It stars Gerard Butler. Of Geostorm. Um, of Geostorm <laughs> fame. <laughs> yeah. um, it, there's, there's four main characters. Gerard Butler's one of them. Um, a guy named Pablo Schreiber, um, O'Shea Jackson Jr., and then 50 Cent are oh. the sort of four main characters, although it's a very large cast. Um, this, this is a really good heist film. Okay. Like, I really enjoyed it. Um, it's very violent. Um, and it sort of opens with uh, a group of masked guys, and they like they rob a, um, a like a Brinks truck, mm -hmm. and then we get introduced to the Gerard Butler film, and he's kind of like a like a really hard cop kind of guy. Um, what's interesting about his depiction is that he's like immediately shown to be like a terrible person. Okay, uh, and the movie is pretty adamant throughout that like. He, of all the characters, is the worst person in, in the film. He kind of runs like a, he, he runs like a, a group of sheriffs that are like definitely acting illegally and outside the law, um, and like they can do whatever they want in, mm -hmm. in the city. Um, but they're up against a very effective and very determined group of ex-marines who are planning a much larger heist, which begins with the execution of the uh, the Brinks truck cool. stealing. There's um, a heat reference right there, right? Very much a heat reference movie. Okay. Uh, this movie is like very influenced by heat. That's uh, a good place to draw influence from. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, 
the kind of middle of the section of the film is where it drags. Um, mm -hmm. This is when they're trying to do the heat thing where there's Gerard Butler and Pablo Schreiber's character and they're like facing off and like they're aware of each other mm -hmm. and they each know what each other's doing. Um, while Pablo Schreiber and his team are like planning their like ultimate end heist. Yeah. Um, so it definitely drags for a while. Like it could have used some editing in, in the mm -hmm. middle of the film. I still like kind of the moodiness of, of the middle of the film. Like it's still very watchable, it's very well acted. Gerard Butler's like, um, he's doing like really good stuff uh, in the film. Very unlikable. Um, <laughs> uh, and he is kind of like naturally charming. Like there's a charisma, there's a reason he keeps making these big actors. He's a great actor. Yeah. I, after seeing this film, and like I liked Geostorm and I like some of his other crappy movies. I'm I'm like on board for like any anything that Gerard Butler yeah, Butler's stand. gonna do from here. Yeah. Okay. He's great. Okay. He's so good in this film. Um fifty cent surprisingly good in this film too. Um <laughs> he's uh he's on the like the robbery crew. Um does does some good stuff there. Um and then when the film like finally gets back to it's like let's execute the robbery, a lot of like really good like Tension, heisty stuff, like heisty, and then um, kind of like explodes in violence at the, at the end of the film. One thing that it does that like a lot of films don't do, and and again, this is like a very much a heat reference, is it shows that if you were to do, uh, you know, a robbery like this, all of the like innocent civilians that might be oh, affected okay. by robbing a bank in the middle of the day in Los Angeles. <laughs> um, are you know it shows like the effect of that right of, of that violence and um yeah it's amazing like that whole sequence like the robbery sequence is amazing um yeah i, I like this film a lot uh you don't need to get the unrated version, which is the one that I think I got, which added like more time to the film, and that's <laughs> okay. definitely not necessary. <laughs> that's not what this movie needs. Um, and it uh, the film does some surprising things that are not he like, um, and to explain them would be to kind of spoil it. Okay, but there there's like an underlying like cleverness to the film that is revealed like very slowly. Yeah, I remember I remember when this one came out earlier this year and it got like a surprising amount of attention and positive responses. And so like I'd been meaning to see it and I'm glad you reminded me of it cuz so I'd like to see it. It's not rated well actually on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, cuz um, I read numerous reviews but, like, word of mouth is very yeah. good mm -hmm. on the film. Um I so I read through some of the critics. I was surprised to see that it was rated it was like 40% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is like I'm surprised by pretty, that. Pretty like that's like yeah. pretty solid bad movie. Yeah. Um it's, I, I don't think it's deserving of that. Um, I, but some of the critiques I read were correct in that like it's a little slow in the middle and yep. it takes a while to get back on track. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, it's not a Michael Mann film, but it's a pretty pretty good one. But I think a lot of the critics are really knocking it for like just being kind of a, a heat ripoff. Okay. I, I think there's more going on than that. Um, partially just like Gerard Butler's a great actor and um, doesn't take it as seriously as like De Niro and Pacino do in Heat. Like he's really like he's playing with this character a right. lot, and he gets a lot out of it. And there's a crew of a larger crew of like all of his like sheriffs guys, and yeah. they're all like 
<laughs> awesome. Together. Okay. Like very scary and gross, and it's it's awesome. Yeah, because he yeah. wants you to take it seriously. Like here's a, this is a serious movie it's about serious man. It's like capital A acting movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think this is much more like there's like a bravado to these okay. characters that is like kind of charming. Okay, right on. Yeah, now thank you for reminding me of it because I have been wanting to watch this. And yeah, it's on Amazon. It's it's great. Right on. Yeah. Um, okay, so we have, I guess, a couple announcements. This is like housekeeping things um, before we announce the movie for next week. Uh, so next episode is episode 100. So if you've listened to all of them, thank you. You, you let us know. We'll send you something. We're not going to send you anything. Uh, <laughs> um, but we are going to bend our rules a little bit. So... Up until this point, the, the the we've had two rules for for the movie for the movies that we select. One is in the title, movies that Charles hasn't seen. We're not going to bend that rule. <laughs> the second one is that the movies are movies that both Crossman and I have seen. All right, and that we will select a movie for for the show. For episode 100, we're not going to do that. We're going to let Charles pick a movie for the first time ever. Um, so you get 1% of the movies <laughs> that we've seen um, so far. Although we've both seen this film. We have both seen this film. Yeah. Um, after episode 100, we're going to take a hiatus. So we're going to take a few weeks off. We're going to come back for our best of 2018 episode. Um, after that, we might take another week or two, depending on how our schedules play out. But we're going to loosen our second rule. So it, we're going to open up the, the category of films that are available to us such that it will be something that Crossman or I have seen and that, that Charles still is not. Um, so that, I think, is going to give us access to some movies that I know I have wanted to do and we haven't been able to because, because of that restriction um, and, and give us a chance to kind of relaunch the show a little bit and, and uh, uh, retool some things and then take, take a breather. Um, so next episode, I guess, will be the last episode of season one of <laughs> movies Charles hasn't seen. Uh, so we'll give it another hundred um, after we come back. Um, but Charles, for your for your inaugural selection, what is what is your first pick um, that we're going to watch next week? Yeah. So um, this movie I've been curious about for a long time. I've always heard reference to it. I've seen pictures of it and things like that. I want to see Metropolis. Okay. So that that's a that is a big one. And if you had told me two years ago when we started this that when you do get to select a movie, you would have picked a ninety-year-old foreign language silent film, <laughs> I would have been surprised. Um, so I feel like we've made some progress here. It's been in the back of my head for a while. I was a little intimidated by it because of that kind of reputation, but yeah, I, I can certainly understand that. Now, this, is, this is a film class movie, um, so I guess we're going to watch Metropolis. Uh, so thanks for listening, everybody. If you like the show, please tell folks about it. Uh, please share it on your social media. It makes a big difference. And join us next week for Metropolis.